Welcome back in listeners to another fantastic episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a fabulous show on deck for you today with two fantastic artists joining us. In fact, one of them is rejoining us for a second time. Joining us for a second time, you have Sophia Carlin, the creative director of Hamlet Isn't Dead Productions and the co-director of today's show, as well as Valerie Peter Chong, who's the company director of Hamlet Isn't Dead and the co-director of today's show. They're both part of Hamlet Isn't Dead's presentation of Antony and Cleopatra, which is playing October 13th through the 21st on the weekends, of course, at the Center at West Park. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting hamletisntdead.com. We're very excited to be having these guests, welcoming back the this great theater company who we had back a little while ago, if you were listening, and to be talking about this great, great Shakespearean show. So let's go ahead and welcome our guests on. Sophia, Valerie, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Hi, we're so excited to be here. It's so excited to be back. Thank you so much. This is my very first podcast, and I'm excited to get going. Oh, I love it. I love both of your energies. I'm, I'm digging this. This is going to be great. And we, you've returned, Sophia, and, Va- and you've brought a friend, Valerie. And we've no. and my best friend. My best yeah. friend of the whole entire New York. I was going to say, <laughs> the world. I met your best friend in the world. You are. My mom is my best friend in the world. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, best uh, Turn to us, and you've got this great show, Antony and Cleopatra. I, I think it's just it's a it's a newer show from what I've heard. You know, it's only been around for like oh I don't know four hundred years about. Yeah, real indie, real small. You know, yeah, yeah, played a couple of places before, but no, you it's a wonderful show, and I got to say it's almost even apt for spooky season right now because I mean it is a little bit. On the it's evening. got a soothsayer. We got some spooky elements in it for sure. You know, lots of prophecies. Yeah. So we're kicking ourselves a little bit that we're not doing the Scottish play because we open on Friday the 13th, but we've done that already. Been there, done that. We got to do something new. Separating yourself from the pack. I love. Well, Sophia, let me start with you. And in case there are listeners out there who maybe don't know a lot about Antony and Cleopatra, what it's about, could you maybe tell them a little bit more about that? Sure. Antony and Cleopatra is a very interesting story, specifically what we are calling, it's a war between love, duty, and pride, right? What's going on in this story is that Rome and Egypt are on this precipice of great change. Rome is the greatest empire of the world and becoming that while Egypt is saying goodbye to the empire it once held. And then Mark Antony, who's Rome's hero, has fallen head over heels for Cleopatra and has started to neglect his duties and Cleopatra has fallen head over heels for him, and she's neglecting her duties. So what then becomes the question is, will we remember them for their love or for their untimely end? Or which one are they going to choose? It's a sort of, will they or won't they? And we've added a lot of different ingredients there too, between a gang of pissed off Romans, a clique of Egyptian mean girls with rock and roll tendencies, and our soothsayer that knows way too much. There's a lot of crazy things that are happening in our world. And we've also underscored it with an 80s soundtrack and 80s themes as well yes who doesn't love the 80s is all i'm saying we we have a lot of joy with it it's we found it's very helpful for us because 
as a company, our mission is to make Shakespeare joyous and accessible and musically vibrant. So music is interwoven through all the works that we do, as well as putting it in a more accessible place. If we set this in Rome or in Egypt and required our audience to have some sort of understanding of what was going on historically then, we're already limiting their ability to connect to these characters. We're creating distance rather than closing distance. So we set it in sort of this quasi-80s filter. You know, the Romans look like they're from a John Hughes movie and the Egyptians look like they're Dave, David Bowie, like groupies, you know, so that we have that accessibility because everyone has some idea of what's going, like what's the vibe of the 80s. It keeps it very colorful, very accessible, very joyful throughout. So that's our reasoning to do that. And also everyone loves that music and so they can sing along with us as well. Love it. Please, please sing along. We we would please sing you. along. <laughs> we encourage it. We definitely do. Valerie, let me ask as the company director for Hamlet Isn't Dead, how did you all come to choose this show at for this time for October? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was situational. So we do the canon, the entire canon in the approximate order that it was written. Obviously, that order is not completely set in stone. We did Othello. We were supposed to do Othello in 2020. We decided to put a hold on that, and now we're doing Othello in the spring. The reason we're doing it in October is because that was when the space was available. We are the resident Shakespeare company of the Center at West Park, so this was the time that they had for us, and we were very excited to get going as soon as possible once our season launched. We actually started doing our work about a month earlier than we normally do in order to accommodate for Antony and Cleopatra and get right off the ground and hit the ground running. But it's really cool to be able to do Shakespeare in the order it was written and do all of the canon because you will do shows that you may not have gravitated towards naturally. And that allows for a lot of exploration, a lot of education, I didn't really know Antony and Cleopatra. I knew of the story, of course, but I hadn't read it before or seen it. And at first glance, I was like, this is a lot because it's one of the longest shows. It has so many characters. It's got like 30 something characters. And it's a bit dense because it has a lot of different political intrigue moments and confusing reasons why we're going to war. So. Our task was really to like pare it down to make it relevant to the now and it's been such an incredible journey and i've learned so much and everyone who's been involved in this process has just been so wonderful yeah and to you know add to that in terms of like when you when in taking these texts that are sort of neglected we you know we've done pretty much we're going to do all of shakespeare and the one that we have the ones that we have left are sort of not as interesting to most. And so Antony and Cleopatra, like we have Pericles left. We have a few sort of ones that are more popular are Winter's Tale and The Tempest. But then we have Coriolanus and we have Henry VIII. You know, how do we make these stories interesting and accessible to audiences that may not know them as well? We have the benefit with this show that people have an understanding of who Cleopatra is and who Mark Antony is, at least a little bit. But for us, we have to ask ourselves, why are we telling this story now? What's important about this story? And the story takes place in this sort of time of rebuilding. You know, Rome is still recovering over Julius Caesar's assassination and the falling war of that. And they 
have chosen this sort of path of what it feels like self-interest, whereas Egypt has sort of latched onto the community that they've built. So we have these two differing ideologies, which we can see already happening following the height of the pandemic. You have these people that are towards self-interest and self-preservation versus relying on their community. And we're emphasizing and highlighting both of those as we have these two separate worlds that have to come together and clash or divide and where we end up. So there's a lot of relation to also what's going on now and also a lot of relation to what was happening in the 1980s, which was the cultural zeitgeist was one of self-interest, which is also why we chose it. But yeah. Sophia, sticking with you, I would love to know, kind of delving in a little deeper, what has it been like developing this particular production of Antony and Cleopatra, especially as, you know, you're all gearing up for your opening. Yeah. So the first thing that had to had to happen was, of course, cutting the script. And the script, as Val mentioned, was a beast. Normally, when we get the full text, of, <laughs> to put it lightly, when we get the full text of Shakespeare, is it averages around 90 pages in our normal format that we do. When I did the full text of Antony and Cleo, it was 129. We tried to get down to 60. So I was like, okay, over half of this show has got to go. So in cutting it and doing the first pass, I was thinking to myself, what are we focusing on here? And this is, you know, in a comparison play to Julius Caesar, which I'm very familiar with. And Julius Caesar is about, you know, communal thought and a crowd mentality in a lot of ways. And this show, even though it had all these characters, felt so solo and so isolating. It was all about what Tony's doing, all about what Cleo's doing, all about what Octavius Caesar is doing. We have a few different perspectives that we hear from. And then we've got all these sort of characters that don't really get involved in the action or just present for atmosphere. So I said, nix them. So we went from 35 characters to 10. So we went from 35 actors to 10 actors. Everyone has a character arc that they follow. And I even took some scenes and made them into monologues um, as well. So we have the, there's a naval battle that normally is explained by three different soldiers. Because we really also don't hear from the people as much in this show as we hear from in Julius Caesar. We really only hear from the elite, which is also another thing I wanted to play into. But going back, like this naval battle, we hear normally three sh- soldiers tell it. In our case, we just have Anna Barbas explain the whole thing to us. We hear different perspectives from a few other people, but instead we only, I've tailored it so it's just one perspective so that we hear Tony's side, we hear Octavius Caesar's side, we hear Anna Barbas's side, Cleo's side, and everyone else is just along for the ride. And by doing that, it creates this sense of isolation and solo mission without losing that sense of ensemble. Because Everyone in this show is doing so much. We have a live band on stage throughout it. We have a lot of different fights and, you know, it's a real ensemble endeavor and everyone's really digging their teeth into it. So uh, in doing that, we, we cut it with that and we got it down to 64 pages, which is good. And we're really happy with the cut. And we've just sort of kept that mindset going through. And then in the rehearsal space and in the rehearsal time, we are... Hamlet isn't dead, are not into playing into the drama. So even though Val and I are talking about the dramatics of this, this show is very funny and very silly and very goofy because we have a belief that Hamlet isn't dead, that without the joy, you can't earn the sadness. We're often told like, your Scottish play was the funniest Scottish play I've ever seen. Your Hamlet was the funniest I've ever seen, you know? And we love that because it's not without that light can we see the dark and earn the dark. We don't ever add darkness. So we have a bunch of sequences. We have a giant like drinking scene. We have our soothsayer enters in very mysterious ways. Like there's a lot of silly, goofy stuff. 
in order to earn those darker moments so that it doesn't feel like we're again creating distance with our audience because if we're only showing sadness then your audience becomes farther and farther away from you rather than closer so there's a lot of joy and levity within it as well i love it i love the way that you are developing this work and dare i say modernizing it you know making it palatable for a modern audience valerie i would love to know with with all of this change with with the setting of of an, of the 1980s with we've kind of alluded to a message you know what is the message or thought you're hoping that audiences will take away from this particular production so at the end of the day the biggest thing we want audiences to walk away from okay there are a couple things <laughs> admittedly the first thing is we hope that we can highlight the strength in community through highlighting the weight of the absence in our staging and in the production of this show I directed the Scottish play. I'm just going to say Macbeth. I'm not in the theater. I directed Macbeth last year. And that show was very much about community and what happens to community when the choices of just a few threaten it. This has a lot of those same themes, except we don't see the community. The community, the people around, the different things that were in Macbeth and the different family dynamics, those aren't there in this show. We don't see the people, we don't see families for the most part. So we hope to highlight that community is so crucial. And when you don't have that community, when you have come from a very individualistic place, then sometimes you're going to cling to what's there and that's going to be unhealthy dynamics. And also that's gonna be our downfall. And I think as a society, the way that our country has been leaning into such a individualistic place, it's going to be our downfall. And I was very inspired when I was doing Macbeth by mutual aid and all of that that was coming up during lockdown and beyond. And now it seems like we're pulling away from that as a society. And so trying to reiterate how important community is is important to us. And it's important to us because we have a very strong community within Hamlet Isn't Dead. Our resident acting company, we have monthly meetings where we do workshops and we come together, we go out for food and drink afterwards often. And we're very close knit and we support one another. We tell each other about the other shows outside of the company that we're participating in. We show up and we support one another. We help each other practice monologues. And it's just a really wonderful environment. And so that's something that we want to encourage all of our audiences and viewers to find for themselves. The other side of that coin and what we want audiences to take away is what we want audiences to take away from all of our shows, which is that Shakespeare is fun and Shakespeare is still relevant. And you don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be... You don't have to have a PhD to understand what's on the page. We know the language is different, but we don't think it's inaccessible. We think that it is our job as artists to make it accessible to our audiences. And we do so through live music. We do so by finding the fun, finding the humor. There's so much humor in Shakespeare's work. And we think humor brings people closer together. We do a lot of direct address, so we talk to our audience, we bring them in, not that we bring them up on stage, but we bring them into our story. We, we talk to them and we 
are asking for their advice in a lot of ways. We're, we're trying to convince them of what we are saying. So yeah, I think that is just the overall thesis of what we do at Hamlet Isn't Dead is we want everyone to feel connected to these texts and connected to these stories that have survived so long for a reason. I love that. So well put. So, so well put. I want to conclude this first part of the interview by asking you both, who do you hope have access to Antony and Cleopatra? And Sophia, I want to start first with you on that. Yeah, so because we do we do have some themes that are sort of difficult, there is some suicide on stage and there is smoking on stage of cigarette. However, it's a PG-13 rating we would recommend and also use discretion of parental guidance, parent family guidance as well. However, we want as many people as possible to see this show in our, in our promotion for accessibility. Of course, Shakespeare's for everyone. We say that it's theater you'll love, whether you like it or not. Whether you like Shakespeare or not, you're going to love this. And we... We absolutely wish that everyone who can come out does come out. We have a bunch of different, uh, we have student tickets available, as well as senior discounts available, as well as a discount code for your listeners. If you would like the discount code, we're happy to give it to you, which is HIDIOTS 2023. So H-I-D-I-O-T-S 2023 will get you $10 off your ticket for the show. And just going off of that, my answer is everyone. We want everyone to be able to see this. Yes, we address some more mature themes that like a six-year-old maybe wouldn't want to see. However, for the most part, this show is for everyone. And while we do have to make some money, we want this to, we don't want money to be a barrier. So mm -hmm. please utilize that discount code. We have a, we have a giveaway going on our Instagram for free tickets that not too many people have entered, so highly recommend entering that. The odds are good right now. And then next week, keep an eye on our Instagram because we will be launching a few days before our opening a Friday the 13th, $13 ticket discount code. So we are trying our best to make this something that anyone can see. We will also be on things like Club Free Time, Play by Play. So keep an eye out for that. to our second part of our interview giving our listeners a chance to get to know the two of you a little bit better valerie i want to start with you on this question i'd love to know what or who inspires you what playwrights composers or shows have inspired you in the past or are just some of your favorites oh this is very 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 hard because I'm so inspired by so many people. I think first and foremost, everyone who I work with within this company, whether it be Sophia, Sophia constantly inspires me. I just want to shout that out. Don't say that. I'm going <laughs> to cry. You inspire me. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> Our actors, how, and the fact that we have a resident company who is so bought into our mission at Hamlet Isn't Dead and so eager to play 
And that's wonderful. Seeing them play, seeing them experiment, we get really wacky and we try new things. And it's always great to see what they'll come up with. Artistically, David Bowie, as Sophia has pointed out, that our, our Egyptians kind of look like Bowie groupies. David Bowie has been a huge inspiration for me. And a lot of the music of the 80s and, and 70s of that kind of glam rock, gender fuckery sort and yeah, and then a lot of our community partners too, other artists, other groups that we've worked with. When we worked with Frigid, there was a lot of inspiration there. As you will, the improv, the Shakespearean improv troupe, they do some amazing work. Yeah, I, I'm just always inspired. I think Shakespeare, I always come back to Shakespeare too is a huge inspiration for me just how amazing how well he can put the human experience on the page in a way that resonates with so many people even today is incredible that wasn't a very well-rounded answer I didn't think about this one as much as I thought about some of the other questions <laughs> I'm prepared and I'm sorry I really do I love it I love that list it's fabulous Okay, thank you. Now, Sophia, we have had you on our show before, so I'm actually going to change up the question and ask, how did you come into the performing arts? Oh, well, how I became came into the performing arts was a brochure was dropped off at my parents' door. I My mother has always said the moment that I started talking, she knew exactly what kind of person I would be. And I don't know what, what that means. I don't know if it means a good person you know, or a loud person person or what have you but a brochure was dropped off at the at my at my house my childhood home that was for a summer camp a theater summer camp that was doing a production of into the woods and they needed kiddos and I was like nine and my parents were like well let's let's sign her up for that because we don't want to get a babysitter for the summer whatever reason they said let's do it and I was absolutely hooked from then and it it often like for me, it was always the decision of like whether or not I want to keep doing this or pursue this like throughout high school or things of that nature. Because I was always a kid who wanted to do everything. I was on a softball team. But then I also started my own theater company when I was in high school. Like I was everywhere doing a lot of different things. And so the decision really came to join the performing arts was I think I talked about it on my last one was when I did my we had a Battle of the Bard was what it was called. And it was at Chicago Shakespeare Theater because I grew up in Chicago. And my team crushed it. And I was in charge of that team from the get-go between what we did, how we performed, the cut of it, all that sort of stuff. And we, there was no one else that was a clear winner that night. And my dad apparently whispered to my mom, was like, is it my dad eyes or is she that good? Or can she actually do this? And a stranger was like, she's actually that good. And it's like that moment that I like felt was like, okay, I have to do this. I have to keep doing this because this creativity, this joy and community, this collaboration is, is something that fuels me to do a lot of different things and, and keep going. So that's how I got into the performing arts. And then I went to Pace University in New York City and found this little Hamlet is a Dead company when I was 18 years old. I went to see their production of Merchant of Venice in 2016. And I ran up to the co-founder, David, and I said, I have to be in this. I have to do something with you guys. This is like the theater I want to create. And this is what I want to do. And he was like, great, send me your headshot and resume. And so I sent it to him. And I was like, I don't think you understand. 
I'll be an intern, like whatever you want. I just want to be in the room when you guys make this stuff. And so I sent a follow-up email. And from then I've just been a idiot ever since. So yeah, that's sort of how I got into the arts and how I became a idiot. I love that. Have you two seen any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners? She NYC has some great shows going on right now. Bloodshot is absolutely incredible. Um, if if you can get to it, see it for sure. Also, the Center West Park has a fantastic season that's coming up. And Frigid is still going with their telenovela version of Hamlet, which is on my list to go see. But I, I saw the She NYC production of Bloodshot and was absolutely mind blown. Truly cannot recommend it more. And The Picture Project as well at Dixon Place is one that's on my list. And I think was featured on your show too, or if it hasn't been already. You just listed two shows that were on our program. Oh my God, I'm so good. I didn't mean to do that, but I saw both of them. I've seen both of them and they were, it was so, so brilliant for two very different reasons and two very different pieces, but really absolutely great artistry and great craftsmanship. I admittedly have not had the time to see as many shows as I would like because- (laughs) I have a full-time job and then Hamlet isn't dead is also like a full-time job. So, however, I do have one very big recommendation, which is to go see Nick Mayfield's one person show called Some Gays. They just announced a second show at Caveat on October 18th at 7 p.m. It is a combination of stand-up, Comedia characters made in a, a more modern, with a more modern take. They do four different characters who are all some gays you might meet. And they're just so wonderful and hilarious. And I got to see the opening of this particular show last month and it was, it just blew me away. So I highly recommend that. And then something that's on my to go see list after after we're, we wrap up Antony and Cleopatra is I desperately need to see Here Lies Love on Broadway. I have been obsessed with looking into this show and watching its progression and from the moment I learned about it. And I really love this new, I think we're shifting to be more immersive in the way we do theater to include the audience more to break down that fourth wall and I really love to see that because I think that that is what makes live theater special because otherwise if you have a really hard fourth wall then why don't you just make a movie in my opinion I think that the audience is really what makes live theater very special and and bringing them into the fray is something that I think more theater companies should be doing and seeing Broadway do that is is really encouraging. Well, now we've arrived at my favorite question to ask guests, and that is, what is your favorite theater memory? Or Sophia, in your case, what's another one of your favorite theater memories? So I'm going to pick a Shakespeare-related one. I also have quite a few. When I was in college, I studied abroad at Lancaster University in the UK after doing a seminar in London. It was such an amazing experience. That whole experience, that whole semester was just so, and I got to focus solely on theater when I was there. And so that was incredible. 
my first ever class for this Shakespeare course I was taking, the first class I sat down and the teacher, the professor said, so I have this idea and it's a little daft. <laughs> and she was talking about how in London, they were doing a series of War of the Roses where they took Henry the sixth parts, one, two, three, and Richard the third and stuck them all together and made them into from four shows into just three. Wow, good job, guys. And I think you could probably cut that down a little bit more, but that's just me. And the idea was that you would go for a weekend and you would see them all throughout the course of a couple of days. Well, her doffed idea was for us to take a bus down because Lancaster is up north and in Lakes District and take a bus down very early in the morning before the sun even rises, get down there and see all three shows throughout the course of the day and then drive back up at night. I was totally on board because I was like, why else would I study abroad and, you know, turn my life upside down to, for my education. So I'm going to go do this. I was super excited. Other classmates were not as excited, but a lot of us went and it was incredible. I also attended a, a seminar in between shows to, there was a discussion on Othello and domestic violence themes within Othello. So that was really cool too. It was just a full day of Shakespeare and the production was, was really good too. And at the end, when we were about to go back, the person who played Henry um, came onto our bus and was like, I just heard what you all did today. And I had to come say hi and thank you all before you left. And it was just such an amazing experience. And really, then those are some of my favorite shows too even though I think the histories are a bit less accessible to some folks but I just really really love that whole arc you've got Joan of Arc you've got Richard III who's probably my favorite character in the Shakespeare canon he's just so interesting and Robert Sheehan from uh, Umbrella Academy played Richard III the youngest Richard I'd ever seen but he did a fabulous job it was just such a great day that sounds amazing. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Sophia, I would love to hear another one of your favorite theater memories, if I may. Sure. So one of my joys that I do is I, uh, throughout from 2018 through 2022, I worked as a full-time teaching artist, a theatrical teaching artist. Many of us do. When we do the theater, we do teaching artist work. It's it's part of it, but it's also if you can find joy doing it, absolutely do it. And I worked with an organization called the Shadow Box Theater Collective, and they had a program that was in Flushing, Queens, where we did devised puppetry to help separated families reunite and create new memories. So ages five to fifth grade with their families who they had been reunited with, and we would build puppets and make theater. And through this like long, it was a long program, six months. Every Saturday morning, I'd come from, you know, Flatbush, Brooklyn, where I lived and go all the way to Flushing, Queens. So I had to do the big old U to get there, carry all my puppetry things and every, you know, help them build and help them learn English and all these sorts of things. And, and it was it was so much effort, but it didn't feel like effort. It felt like joy and it felt like it, it was just so it was so moving and so impactful. And then we had our final performance where all of them performed with their puppets. And it was like, and these puppets are not like little hand puppets of like a bee. We made a six foot anaconda. We made a hot pink shark. 
We made that was like, you know, eight feet long. We made huge, giant puppets. My favorite one that we came up with was there was a turtle. You know, those vacuums that kids would play with where you roll them and they have the balls inside. and they go blah, blah, blah. That was the inspiration for making the turtle puppet. And so our our actor, he would He's like, you know, eight. And so he'd hold it on a big old rod and he'd have the turtle at the end and he'd move it around on wheels. And he loved that thing. But it was so beautiful. And it was the story that was about healing the earth and all these animals meeting each other. But it was one of those moments where I could see the the impact of and the universality of theater and puppetry and connection and how immediate it is. And so, yeah, that's one of my my favorite experiences and one of my favorite memories. I love that. What a wonderful, truly wonderful memory. Thank you both for sharing those incredible memories. Those were wonderful. Are there any other projects or productions that you, either of you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? Well, in the spring, we have Othello. Othello is happening in April at the Sun Art West Park. Once the moment that Tony and Cleo closes, we'll be on the hunt for the director of this production uh, to take on our sort of hideous brand and bring to life the show that we have been putting off till we find the right person to do it, you know? All for good reasons. There's a lot of reasons why we didn't do it in 2020, you know? But now we're ready to definitely do it. So that's the that's the big project that's coming up. And we have a, a few different one-off events that are in the in the process of being planned and executed and all those sorts of things. But keep keep us on the keep us on your watch list for at Hamlet Isn't Dead on Instagram, our website, all those sorts of things. We've got a lot of different stuff planned and a lot of different ways to show off our hideots beyond our main stage productions. Seconding that we are really going to be looking for a stellar guest director to tell Othello right. It's a huge play. It's got a lot of, there's a lot of meat on that bone and a lot of things. <laughs> there's a lot of meat on that bone. There's a great way to say it, Val. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not super happy with it, but that's okay. But yeah, we want to tell a respectful story. We want to tell a story that highlights Black joy so that we can earn the tragedy at the end. But we want to do it in a way that's respectful. We want to do it in a way that has we want Black creatives on the team to be able to tell this story in a meaningful, relevant, and respectful way. And so if you are a director and you have an idea for how to tell this story in a way that no one's ever seen before and in a way that brings relevancy to the text, as well as highlights joy and levity and fun in the way that we do in our hit style, then please keep an eye out for that call for directors. I love that. And it's a great lead into my final question, which you both kind of alluded to, but it's if our listeners would like more information about Anthony and Cleopatra, about either of you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do that? You can go to our website, hamletisndead.com, or we are at hamletisndead on Instagram. We've been really revving up our Instagram presence. And then you can always reach out to us through DMs on Instagram, although sometimes we miss them. So our email addresses are provided on the Hamlet is in Dead website as well. Please reach out anytime. We'd love to hear from you. Well, perfect. Well, Sophia, Valerie, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Sophia, thanks for coming back and joining us. Thank you both for just sharing this amazing show. 
This sounds incredible. Loving the work that your company is doing. And I'm so, so honored that you took the time today to talk and share all of your insight and this wonderful show with our listeners. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. This has been a blast. My guests today have been the co-directors, Sophia Carlin and Valerie Peter Chung, who are with Hamlet Isn't Dead, and they're presenting Antony and Cleopatra, running October 13th through the 21st on the weekends at the Center at West Park. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting hamletisntdead.com. And while you're there, we've got a code for you to save some money. You can use the code Idiot 2023, that's H-I-D-I-O-T 2023, for $10 off your tickets. You can also find more information about the show and about our guests by visiting their website, hamletisndead.com, or checking them out on Instagram at hamletisndead. We're going to have all this information posted on our episode description, as well as on our social media post. But make sure you check out this great, great version of Antony and Cleopatra playing October 13th through the 21st. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phone, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about theater in a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. The lines of old-